1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors
0: and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What is that? That's the second time it has gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those
2: England defence in the best channel is going for the high ball. Trying to knock it down for help. Dara, goal! they have scored. Ray Hutton, oh, we did! Oh, Ray, we did a stunning. Ray Hutton has <laughs> scored a goal to grace any footballing
3: occasion.
0: We're a small country, and listen, we're up against it. But let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again.
1: All right, it's our pre-Ireland-Belgium edition of the Irish Times second captain's Euros podcast with Owen, Murph. Hi, Murph. Hello there, auntie. And Richie. Hi, Richie. Hi, hey, Richie. How you doing? We should also stress right at the beginning of this recording that if you happen to hear some heavy panting in the background <laughs> in the show, that's not Murph expressing his excitement about the big game tomorrow. It's our latest addition to the team, Richie. Who's this?
4: Yeah, it is. Um, Bailey is her name. Yeah. She is the latest addition to my family, actually <laughs> I was asked a little while ago Mark She's said, licking my elbow as we speak Yeah, Mark says, say it's a dog Not thing. a human <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mark said, uh, will you bring her in? And, and then Murph reminded me the other day He said, no, you have to bring her in And, and I kind of reacted much like a, a new parent Would ask to show photos of a, of their newborn I was, oh, oh, go on then <laughs> Brought her in uh, She is a cross between a St Bernard and a Newfoundland Three years of age She is absolute class I'm minding her for a family who I know who have gone away until January so for seven months oh. she is you with happy. me I, I'm delighted now I am kind of bracing myself for possibly a loss of the same size as Frank's death when when January comes along oh. and I have to give her back but uh, across that bridge when I come to it she is absolutely class
3: and she's she's moved a lot closer to the to the microphones now so we probably will hear quite a bit of padding. <laughs> literally not, as not soon not as we started and
1: recording and yeah. she, started, she walks over I think she yeah. likes a little bit of a, likes to sprinkle a bit of stardust in this. she's also almost the same height as Simon and she, I'm, I'm only exaggerating very slightly this is
4: a big big dog
3: it's a very large but very extremely beautiful dog oh, and we're delighted that, that, that she could make it in here today. that's
4: who I'm watching the Euros with, just me and Bailey chilling at home well <laughs> Bailey you're very welcome to <laughs> the Irish Times second
1: Euros podcast <laughs> Podcast. Michael Walker is covering Northern Ireland for the Irish Times. We'll catch up with Michael on today's show. There's almost two decades. Uh, oh, what else are we talking about? Yes, yeah, your Ken, of course, is on one of his beloved high-speed trains at the moment, Murph. Almost as happy as Richie with his new dog, Ken is on a high-speed train and is greatly enjoying himself, I'm sure. He's going from Lons, where he was watching England last night, to Bordeaux, where he's obviously going to be covering Ireland-Belgium. So we'll chat to him and to Michael Walker, who is covering Northern Ireland for the Irish Times. Uh, we'll talk about the... Well, the Heroics there of their boys yesterday
3: Yeah uh, I My Northern Irish wife Was listening to the game uh, Up a tree house in Sri Lanka And was getting extremely <laughs> excited a, a tree house <laughs> Yeah 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 She was uh, like on some um, She's like doing a yoga retreat or something And she was a little concerned Well the original idea was That she could go there And you know There'd be no phones Or internet or anything like that She could just relax <laughs> But then the second she got there it's was like I really hope there's Wi-Fi there <laughs> And uh yeah, was was tuned in, listening at like whatever time it is. Well, it wasn't that late actually. It was like ten o'clock in the ten o'clock or half ten by the time the, the game finished. But uh, yeah, they're getting pretty excited. My my in laws, my, my, my mother in law met Carol Frampton. Uh, before I'm the, here uh, with <laughs> a lot of people. Did she yes. meet Nesbitt? What, no, no, she didn't. No. she just where did she meet Frampton before the game? Uh, on the str- on the street before the first game. So, uh, the game against Poland.
1: Well, I saw a photo. Yeah, I saw photos of him being surrounded by people.
3: Like it was insane. I was. Was that that
1: included your in-laws?
3: Yes. Oh, amazing. So my my mother-in-law. One of the photographs I actually saw on the Belfast Telegraph website. My mother-in-law was one of the (laughs) grey-haired people looking at (laughs) Carol Frampton. But I I can only imagine the the plaguing that Carol Frampton got. like it's kind of like one of these situations where, you know, after Euro twenty twelve, literally, if you had two hundred Facebook friends, one hundred of them. Their profile picture was them and John Delaney. Well, that's basically that's that's what it is with Carol Frampton now. I think <laughs> half the people in Northern Ireland, their profile picture is of a photograph of them with Carol Frampton at the Euros.
1: I was quite struck by the analysis before the game on TV Three. Graham Sunnis and Larry Sanchez were both in agreement that the changing of the team by Mike O'Neill was five changes he made to the starting lineup mm. was a big sign of panic. They lost their first game. He was panicking and he was making all these changes for the second match. Uh, even as, as I was watching, it's, it's easy to be wise after the event. But I was a bit dubious about that because anything I've heard from Michael O'Neill in the run to this tournament will convince me that he's of—he's a manager, he's a meticulous manager who thinks a lot about what he does. And if he has that much time to think about three games, he'd have gone through every scenario. One of them being, what happens if we lose the first game and need a win Against Ukraine in the second game, what do I do then? I would have, I would have thought now. Where I'm trying to read Michael O'Neill's mind here, Richie, but that he might have had that in his in his head already. That I will make these changes uh, if if I need. If, if we've already won the first game, I might approach Ukraine in one way. But if I've if we need the win, I might make these changes. And if whatever whatever was in his mind, it worked out for him anyway.
4: I totally agree. Yeah, I I, I would have had a lot of conversations with Michael um, just through dealings with him on RTE. Um, and actually, I thought the, the Graeme Hunter podcast was really revealing. Yes, he talked uh, yeah. in a good bit of detail about his approach and many things. But he is, he, he is exactly how you used to describe him, a, a very meticulous manager. And throughout the qualifying campaign, I think there were four at the back. And then when the left back got injured, he went to three at the back in the build-up to the tournament. But he, he's one of those managers. And I, I I wouldn't put Martin O'Neill in this category. And I, and I don't know where Roy Hodgson fits in. But he, he, he would prepare the team in a variety of situations it, it, like so if those players forget forget to change of personnel for a moment like he changed the system those players would have known exactly what was required in that system i don't i don't get that sense watching the republic of ireland that those players are 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 prepared in that way but M- michael y- you you can you can obviously interpret five changes in any way you like panic i i, I don't think is a, is a fair one and i don't think it, it it shows any kind of understanding of michael or his approach
3: and i mean you know it's northern ireland i mean the the idea that they would it it was a defeat against poland and you know they they go into the group thinking right the, the game against ukraine is the game we're most likely to win i mean losing to poland 1-0 is not that you know that's not going to come as a massive shock to michael o'neill you know they, like like the if they had lost 4-0 then maybe something has happened that they hadn't planned for but, I mean, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the group was to beat the Ukraine and see what they can get from the other two games. So, yeah, I mean, we, we are all being wise after the event here, maybe, but... Uh no, I
4: tweeted it before the game.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so I'm on the record, Murphy
4: I think um, what, what I obviously don't think they would have hoped for or, or planned for was the way in which they played the first game and go beyond their, their, their shape and all of that. I think the point was made afterwards by Michael that some of them just seemed to freeze a little bit. Maybe it was the occasion or the enormity of it all. Um, so he, he responded to that. So I think if we can make the football argument from a distance as to which players should play or what we think, what formations-wise would be best suited to beat in Ukraine, but what Michael has that none of us have is an insight into how the players he thinks handled the other day or how he thinks mentally they're right to handle the next one, the Ukraine one. So there are all those decisions that we're not privy to at all. So from a TV studio, and I, I we all do this, you just make assumptions of... And, and and you just judge personal and the decision without really knowing what was behind it and the way they played and and the way that uh, the, the the game went that, I mean they were full value for the 2-0 win they didn't scrape the win it wasn't uh, it wasn't one of those jammy ones that we all tend to get now and again you,
1: yeah, you mentioned Martin O'Neill there and I think his uh, hands off approach might be one way of talking about it to uh, managing the international football team is fairly well known at this stage lots of stories out there about how he uh, so goes so far as not to reveal the starting team to his players until the last minute, sometimes sends specific players out without a huge amount of tactical instruction. And that is one way of doing it. It's a way that's shared by a man. You could see it as an old-school way of doing it, but Mark Wilmot is in his 40s, a lot younger man than Martin O'Neill, and he seems to have a very similar approach. So we're going see to what, see what happens with these two teams at the weekend. But uh, Jonathan Wilson wrote a piece for The Guardian, which he sent on to me this morning, yeah, which I thought was fascinating. And um, one of the stories that he shared from was that in the run-up to the Italian game, Wilmot had his first 11 take on the other squad members who he arranged in a 3-5-2 formation to roughly approximate what Italy were going to do. That first team lost 4-0. Now, as Wilson ma- makes a point in the piece, this kind of thing happens quite a lot when the starting team is playing the second-string team, essentially, because it's the second-string team who are really motivated to show that they should be in the next day. But it did suggest... That they would have to do a little bit more work on dealing with the right, we've Italian got a problem setup. Here, we might yeah. have a problem here. there was another training game the next day, but this time the reserves weren't given any specific tactical instructions, so it was just uh here you go, lads eleven against eleven, and off you go, which uh it was certainly different from the Michael O'Neill approach
3: yeah, 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 and I mean uh, you know the, the 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 maybe the more worrying thing that's obviously not very good management. maybe the more worrying thing though is that when he comes out the you know the 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 players have had their say uh Courtauld was speaking in the aftermath of the Italy game we were outclassed on all fronts tactically technically and organisationally we came up short we made the same mistakes as in the friendly games uh, you know <laughs> which in fairness you, could, you know that's the you could, that's pretty obvious who, who he's pointing that at for the first we did not follow our man this is a big disappointment because the first match is very important the next two games we should be winning we have to play better so that's what Courtois said now apparently there was a bust up, a bust up, an actual physical altercation between Wilmots and Courtois on the flight home <laughs> from the Italy game. And I mean, how you, physical? Well, I love how you're laughing at this. Right? Well, yeah, it's great it's for getting us. Getting excited here. Yeah, point. yeah, a punch up. Well, yeah. this is it. I mean, you know, he's uh, <laughs> apparently there was a punch up on the plane. Now, you know, punch up. I mean, I, I don't know what you're actually talking about there. Whether it's uh, hold me back. You know, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of a vibe going on, <laughs> which you would kind of hope would be the case. You know, between the professional athlete and a man in his mid-40s but um, yeah like obviously there's frustration there and there's probably frustration as well at Wilmot's uh, habit of coming out and blaming others when your team has been completely outclassed I mean the reaction in the Belgian newspapers has been Wilmot's completely outthought by uh, Antonio Conte like utterly uh, outfoxed in every conceivable way Uh, and he comes out and blames his players which is that's got to be good news for us. I mean, you'd have to think it's good news for us when a manager just turns his guns on his players when he himself hasn't has proved himself unable to do the job against Italy, at least.
4: In in terms of the build up and the preparation, this couldn't be going any better from our point of view. I think the performance they gave, but it, it's those comments and and what they kind of they reveal. If 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 Courtois is coming out and so publicly saying, you know, tactically, organisationally, you're clear who who he's talking about. For it to get to a point where there's a punch-up, there's clearly, like, massive divisions now within that camp, whether it's just manager versus players or certain players siding with the manager and there's a split amongst the players. But either way, it just seems to be in disarray. But the stuff about training, I'm constantly amazed when I hear, and and they're not uncommon, anecdotes like that from training, where you put on a, a, a training game like that and it's an exercise and the opposition within training are specifically told to replicate what the, the real-life opponents are going to do. But but to not take that as a learning exercise, to, to say, right, we've lost 4-0, like, did, did he at any point say, you no? Know, did, did the four goals come from the same avenue in the pitch, were positionally the same mistakes being made? Was it a communication thing? Like, Why would so much material to work with there in a 4-0 defeat? And you're right, often, often reserves beat the first team because they think they have a little bit of a point to prove, or the first team in some way... And said, well I'm in the team anyway, like I don't I don't need to prove anything here. But for 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 a manager not to react, like that's 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 particularly shabby. And then for the following day to say, right, let's just go and play anyway. Like oh, Ma- Martin O'Neill actually said and I know I keep bouncing back to Martin O'Neill, but in the build up to the couple of friendlies, the Belarus and the Holland games, he was asked actually he said, Are are you gonna use these games as preparation for, for Sweden and, and, and Belgium? And he said, no, I haven't shared any of my, this, my knowledge or information on those games with the players yet. So he used those games, I think, just for fitness exercises or to hone his selection of 23. In, in the build-up to the Sweden game, I heard from someone, there was no Sweden-specific training done. It was generic football training. And for, for Phil Mott's to have the same approach with those group of players, they have the potential to win this. Like they're they're like talent wise, like you, you would, it, it honestly baffles me as to how a manager can be so. They use to phrase, hands off. Like that's that's negligent. That's just really shabby stuff.
1: Well, from O'Neill's point of view, from the Irish point of view, James Coleman I saw in one interview said that they have they do get given detailed videos of their opponents their exact opponents was it Forsberg is that the name of the guy that mm. um the Swedish player Swedish winger who Coleman was going to be up against and Coleman said yeah I'm going to watch that like I always like to watch it the day before not too far in advance but just the day before get something in my head about him some of the lads don't bother but I, I think it's I think it's useful for me <laughs> some
4: y- of the some of the lads don't bother yeah
1: I'm, I'm using the word don't bother but some of the lads don't do it and he I, does do it as well was again saying. you
4: from a distance you're looking and going lads, this is a this is a big deal that this is this is the European Championships. I keep hearing from players talk about the importance of it. And Neil and Keane have spoken in interviews since we qualified about the enormity of it and how brilliant it is and what a great achievement it was. Like, treat that with a bit of respect. Don't just leave it up to players as to whether they're going to take it upon themselves to look at a video that was given to them. It shouldn't be optional. Like, in training, as a group, the, the, the last-minute... Communication of the squad of the team selection, fair enough. A lot of managers do that, but and, and I've no real opinion whether that's a good or bad thing. That's just a way of doing it. But it's a real failing if everybody is in any way in in, in doubt as to what their job will be if they're selected.
1: Is there an advantage to it in any way? The, that old idea of focusing on our own strengths rather than worrying specifically about what what each individual has to do against other individuals.
4: You you often hear. Arsene Wenger is often described as using that approach. You hear, like if Lee Dixon and people who have been in his dressing room at half-time when he's co- covering Arsenal matches, he will say something like, it's not Wenger's way, he he has his way of playing. but And I think that can work, can be very effective if you've got the players of the ability that Wenger and Arsenal have. But when you're us, I don't think you can simply say, lads, if we do what we do to the best of our ability, we'll win. Like That's not true. We're, we're not good enough to have that approach.
3: Yeah, so I, I think uh, what we're talking about here is not... Uh, not so many uh, uh, two managers, not a million miles away mm. from each other. Mm. But the the one thing I would say is that Wilmot's, I, you know, you would think that there are two types of coaches. There are there are guys who are extremely tactically astute who believe that that's the that's the most important thing. That it more so than anything else is right. I have a plan. We stick to the plan. We win the game. Then there are other guys who are you know vibes guys. You know who mm. are like right. Okay, this isn't so much. I'm not going to tell you exactly to the nth degree what your opposition are going to do, what you're going to do at a specific moment or what my substitutions are, but I'm going to create the right atmosphere. O'Neill is one of those guys. Wilmots is neither of those things. So, I mean, we can sit here and kind of say that there there are definite holes in how Martin O'Neill prepares the Irish team. I don't think any of us are probably in any doubt about that given Mm. what we've just heard or what we've just talked about. But the spirit in the camp is, is very good and in a game like this where it really looks like Belgium are not together. And I mean, Belgium, even just, even just to, to, to take the nation of Belgium for a moment, I mean, it is a very divided country. I mean, there were articles written in the uh, build-up to the World Cup in 2014 which basically said that the football team is one thing that actually unites Belgium. Uh, you know, it's like half, uh, half Walloon, half uh, Flemish I mean, you know, it's it's not it's 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 not a very easy team to stitch together. Uh, it's you know they don't it's it, you know it's not the Belgian flag is a little bit more it's it's not a thing that you can row in behind easily and without question uh, without questioning it. So I mean, you know that this is good stuff for us. As you say, it couldn't be going a whole lot better for us uh, in the run up to this game. And that's you know like the you can talk about people not watching videos, but like. I don't know what the Belgians are doing <laughs> at the moment, you know, <laughs> if, if if they're not, if they're not, uh, if they don't have a good spirit and they're, they're also not preparing for Ireland, that's, sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> and like, th- this
4: approach clearly isn't working at the moment, like, we, and, w- and we can all, we can all do it, like, we, we can have an opinion on how a manager approaches things, or we can have a view on player selection or formation or any of that, but if a team wins, you kind of go, okay, well that, that, that worked, but this doesn't seem to be working at any level for Belgium at, at all like yeah. it, it doesn't like we we obviously we saw what happened on the pitch and we're hearing little snippets of what's happening off the pitch in the team hotel and I think at, at club football I think you can I think the tournament environment when you're away as a group a relatively small group of people in a hotel for an extended period of time divisions like that I think can can become magnified and particularly when it's the coach it's not like they're falling out with a kit man it's, it's it's the manager Um music to our ears I think this is a key key thing in the build up here like they're they're, things are falling apart for them so you know we'll hope it'll continue for another 48 hours at least (laughs) Murph I
1: know you like useless information
3: Uh, that's about 90% of my brain Uh, I was having
1: a look at the age gap between Wilmots and Martin O'Neill for the purposes of this conversation just that there's a general idea that a younger coach a guy in his 40s would think more in the Jose Mourinho mm. uh, style of, of thinking about a game, which doesn't seem to be the case for 47-year-old Mark Wilmots. Martin Edel, 64. Still nowhere near the oldest in the tournament, though. Angel Jordanescu, 66. We've seen him pop yep. up at uh, many major tournaments he's for Romania over the he? years. No, he's not. He's 66. A few others in their 60s. A lot of them in their 60s, actually. I suppose it is, it is international football. Lars Lagerbach, now with Iceland, formerly Sweden. 67 years of age.
3: He looks well in the tower.
1: The uh, Russian coach, Leonard Slutsky.
3: Oh yeah. Oh well. Uh, do you want me to guess his name or guess, guess his, his age? age. Yeah. Oh. oh, I'm gonna say. While you're
4: while you while you're thinking, you see the footage of him just rocking back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was scary. Kind of unsettling
3: a bit. Yeah. It's quite uh, a lot
1: that's been unsettling about uh, Russia at this story. Yeah.
3: The whole. I'm gonna say he's like, th- he's 37. Ah, come on. Well, he he. Lo- I know he looks. He looks. Tell like him what age does he look? He looks about 48. But I mean, he just... Oh, I like, thought he looked
1: a lot older. He's 45. 45. Yeah, no.
3: No, I, d- I, d- I just kind of got the impression that he's just a young man who's, you know, not taking care the of The
1: Ukrainian coach is 67 years of age, but it looks to me like Roy Hodgson is the oldest. Roy Hodgson's 68.
3: Yeah. He. Yeah, he I think he's
1: looking well on 68.
3: Ah... I think he age? looks maybe about 65, On, oh, I'm sorry.
1: Exactly, looking well on 68. There's your use of information, random coaching ages okay. of some of the men. Is, in this, is, a, there. is this a regular slot? No, that's it. That's oh, okay. it. We're not going to put it's a bed together long. for this one. <laughs> no. I should say, Bailey's behaving like a dream over here. There, or, or there was Bailey a little bit there.
3: of he- heavy panic when ri- when Richie started talking about how good the preparations has <laughs> been. Going. I was like, oh, she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> this is good.
1: Has Ken arrived in Bordeaux? That's my find out. Are you safely in situ in Bordeaux?
0: I am day down safely and moistly in situ here in the beautiful, humid, rainy city of Bordeaux.
1: Oh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I was reading some bad weather forecasts. All right.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely taping down at the moment. I mean, it's 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 that kind of heavy summer rainy weather where you've got these black clouds floating around about thirty feet above the ground. Uh, every so often, one of them comes by and dumps. Um, a couple of billion gallons of water on the uh, on the area, and then moves on. So, so you get these kind of rain, you know, cloud bursts which last like two or three minutes. Uh, but you really don't want to get caught outside in one. Um, well, unless you don't care. You know, I'm sure the Ireland fans are going to be here. They're they already are here, um, and they're going to be out in the night. And they, you know, it's it's nice when you're when you're out in, in such great numbers to be able to stand out in the street and maybe maybe have a beer in the beautiful surrounds of a town like Bordeaux, uh, and if they get rained on several times during the night, will they even really care? Will they really care? Well, I'll care because I only have one pair of shoes with me. Um, <laughs> and I'm kind of a, I get a little pernickety about things like that, about walking around in squelchy shoes. <laughs> so uh, so I'm going to try and stay out of it. Uh, but we could see a lot of um, a lot of water babies in green uh, tonight in the streets of Bordeaux.
1: Well, I-, I won't be one of them tonight, Cam, but I'm going over tomorrow for the game, and I did buy a poncho this morning. Do you think I'll be judged by Irish fans for not being tough enough to brazen out the rain? I've got a nice big rain mac.
0: Well, when you say rain mac, do you mean like one of those plastic bags that you get would get at a supermarket? There's kind of a giant version of that?
1: No, well, a little higher quality. It's €7.99 worth of Army Bargain's finest up there on, around Capel Street. Actually, it wasn't Army Bargain's. I should really plug the correct shop. You know, there's a load of those kind of stores all in and Army around Capel Street there, yeah. Still yeah. around, Ken. I'm not sure if Millet's is still there.
0: You go there, bud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I live near close enough, I do like... I actually love it up around Capel Street. So, <laughs> weirdly, I you have love, been in those shops
3: you love it, quite out,
1: often you? there, Ken. So, as long as i I can actually hear the rain behind you, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's already slightly dying off. But if you heard that kind of... <sighs> what that is, is this... Uh, is uh, millions of uh, gallons of rainwater uh, falling onto the large, um, sonorous canvas roof of this uh, media centre. So... That's what that's what's in store for you, and I have to tell you that the forecast for tomorrow is abysmal. It's maybe even worse than today. So maybe that's a wise investment. Maybe you'd want to maybe you'd want to pick up a little pair of gaiters or something um, <laughs> as well. Uh, to bring you, you'd be this the snuggest, driest little Ireland fan in Bordeaux. That probably would elicit jealousy and maybe contempt from your fellow uh, boys and girls in green. Uh, but you know uh it's it, you've got a question uh, which is more important the respective of, of your uh, fellow supporters or dryness
1: we've got a new co-host here ken not only mm-hmm. myself and murph and richie do you know who else is here
0: besides you kira and richie we have another guest simon
1: simon's here of course yeah
0: there's a fifth member there's of a the fifth team.
1: member of the team ken well i've no idea richie's new dog bailey really oh yeah what a dog
0: Bailey? It's, it's, what, it's, named after Dennis Bailey of Queen's Park Rangers, scored a hat-trick against Manchester United New Year's <laughs> <State> Day 1994? <laughs>
3: or Gary Gary Bailey, uh, winner of an FA Cup final with Manchester United in 1983.
0: goalkeeper. Yeah. Or um, Gareth bale E, They call him bale in <laughs> it, the Welsh World score of a tremendous free kick against Joe Hart of England. It's possible uh, ba-
4: Bailey uh, wasn't named by me. Um, right. I'm just minding her for seven months she would be oh, coming okay. with me everywhere for those seven months, though, <laughs>
1: including it's at the TV studio,
0: probably. Powerful attachment.
1: That's what we were talking about. Yeah, we'll we cross that
4: bridge around January, Richie. For but the time there's, being there's been a Saturday. sufficient kind of mourning period since Frank
0: left us. God rest him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you've got to you got to move You got to move you know. on you can't, uh, I'm ready. Frank Frank ain't coming back, Richie, is what no. I'm saying. So. no. Uh, um, so you gotta go forward.
1: Unfortunately, <laughs> that. Uh, thanks for reminding Richie. Of that. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, no, God Richie. That Gareth God. Just looking behind yeah. your shoulder, Murph, is a framed picture of oh, Frank, Frank on the wall. Oh, yeah, I'm
0: sorry. He's everywhere. Sorry.
1: Unfortunately, Ballo's free kick wasn't enough for Wales yesterday. Ken.
0: No, they. What happened to Wales was what I was worried might happen to Ireland in this tournament, I, mean, I suppose could still happen. Um, but you know, the. Uh, I was worried that something like that might happen in the in the Sweden game basically, they didn't really do themselves justice. Um, And England totally deserved to win. Um, Not necessarily by more goals. They didn't test Tennessee really that much. I think it was four shots on target from England. But 21 attempts. Total domination, really, of, of most of the game. Not really because England played that well. Although they did get better as the game went on. But because Wales, I felt, just didn't really perform at all. I mean, Bale was really quiet. Scored that amazing free kick. I mean, it was an amazing free kick. It was an amazing thing to see. I know that it was all Joe Hart's fault. It was Joe Hart's fault, but <laughs> I mean, just to see him setting up, he was so far out. We were sitting there looking down at this. It was kind of just right in front of. It was more or less in direct line from where we were sitting in the stand. It was kind of like you can't be. You can't be serious. There's no way you can score from there. And then to see him actually pull it off um, was was impressive. Gareth Bale can hit the ball very hard, on. Uh, I'll tell you that. That's that's one thing I learned from the game. Me. Um but really it was you know, you could see how nervous Ashley Williams was inside six seconds. His first touch of the ball was a heavy touch. Harry Kane ch- charged down. Um if the ball had ricocheted slightly differently, England would have scored the earliest goal ever in the European Championship Finals. That's not the kind of start you're really looking for. Um Ben Davis had a handball, um, accidental handball, but if the referee had seen it, the referee was, view of it was blocked by Davis's body. If the referee had seen it, that would have definitely been a penalty. Um, and there were mistakes. I mean, ultimately, Ashley Williams headed the ball straight to Jamie Vardy for England's equaliser. And they didn't manage to really exert any authority on the game at all. They didn't. There was too many mistakes. There was too many individuals going missing. They, there wasn't enough, really, from Bale. He wondered if Bale was fully fit, actually, watching him. Um I wasn't. I wasn't totally convinced. Uh, you know, Ramsey kind of ran around, had some nice touches on the ball, but too many kind of slack passes. You know, the, Wales couldn't afford to lose possession as easy as as they were losing it. Uh, and ultimately, I think they just, as, as they kind of got within end, as the game, the end of the game came into sight, and they they still knew that one all would be a good result for them and a very bad result for England. They just dropped deeper and deeper and deeper until eventually they were cowering in their own penalty area and. Uh, England eventually found a way through
4: what was the atmosphere like what was it like being there
0: very good um, I mean the Welsh fans all got there uh, really early well not not all but I mean the, the Welsh section was pretty much full um, a good half an hour before kickoff whereas the England fans were still sort of trickling in there was a lot more England fans there I'd say it was probably 3-1 to one in the stadium uh, the Welsh fans making a tremendous noise uh, from before kickoff when they were just singing along to all the, uh, you know, like Zombie Nation and so like Kerncraft is playing and the Welsh fans were all singing along to these, uh, you know, decade year old decade, uh, old club hits, which was pretty funny actually to watch. Um, the atmosphere was, was good. I mean, there, there wasn't any, I, I don't know if you were asking if there was any kind of nastiness. I didn't see any. Uh, everybody seemed to be having a pretty good time. I mean, the fans were kind of mixing around, mixing outside the stadium. It wasn't as though it was all English over here and all Welsh over there. Um, yeah, it was. It was good. It was. It was. It was loud and it was exciting and it was kind of a, a low-quality, scrappy game. The kind that we all kind of love. <laughs> and um, ultimately, I suppose it had the right winners, cruel, cruel way for it to end for Wales. But they, you just have to play better than that. You know, you can't. Ultimately, if you, if you let yourself down in that way, let yourself down is maybe a harsh way to look at it. But I think they, they'll, that's how they'll feel. They didn't, you know, they can play a lot better than they did. They, they saved one of their worst performances for the biggest game. Um, I'm sure the game that they would have most liked to win. Uh, and that's got to be disappointing for them always, I think, when they look back on it.
1: The big question about England after this, I think, surrounds... Wayne Rooney and his role in midfield. I know a lot of people have been talking about the substitutes and you know, whether or not Hodgson has been somewhat over-praised for having the genius idea to stick on you know, Premier League's top scorer and uh, <laughs> the most skillful player in the squad and the young go-getter. Uh, so I don't know, that, that's maybe a little bit tiresome. But the Rooney, I'm fascinated by the Rooney thing, to be honest, because uh, you wouldn't have seen all this over here, Ken, but I'm sure you get a sense of it there, the differing opinions on this. You've got Rio Ferdinand Alan Shearer saying... Uh, just, you know, essentially making this guy out to be a cross between Xabi Hernandez and Maradona in midfield. Then and uh, in, in, in fairness, John Giles agreeing with him. John Giles thinks he's brilliant in central midfield. On the other side, Souness and Diddy Haman, two old midfield players who reckon that, look, he just plods around and can't pick a pass. He doesn't. He's constantly going for these crossfield balls that Murph actually talked about after the FA Cup final. Uh, and, and it's just way too predictable. Where do you fall on that?
0: Probably more towards the, the, the latter end of it. I mean, you know, Wayne Rooney is, is doing his job, but I don't know if they need a guy doing that job. Um, I, I, I mean, I thought in the first half particularly he was poor. Uh, there was, I mean, you, you know the pass I'm talking about when I say the pass. Uh, he I think he does have, he, he, he plays too many of these cross field balls and, they, they, and he, they're invariably left to right. And I just find that I, I just think that he's, he's too predictable and the ball is moving too slowly and everybody knows what's going to happen and okay I mean why well, they might get well Carl Walker who's who's been I think Kyle Walker has the most take ons of anyone in the tournament largely thanks to the fact that he keeps getting these balls from Rooney and then running at the fullback um, and you might get a goal out of that of course you know if you do that enough times you, you you'll definitely might get a chance he might get a goal but I just I think it's very basic football. You know, it's a, I'm kind of wondering why is a player of, of Wayne Rooney's standing uh, playing in such a mechanical way? It's, it's almost as though uh, he feels, right, I'm a midfielder now. What does a midfielder do? Trying to remember everything he's told about how, how a midfielder is supposed to play, particularly the manager that he's just had for two years at Manchester United. And his interpretation of the role is very, I, I think, constricted. There's no spontaneity. There's no creativity about it. Um, he's not mixing it up. And when you don't, do, when you don't mix it up, you don't surprise anyone. You know, everyone here's Rooney. Wonder what he's going to do. Oh, the ball's gone to work again. What a surprise! Contrasted to what happened on the goal, the second England goal, when Daniel Sturridge got the ball from Danny Rose, uh, and in, in a similar sort of position to where Wayne Rooney had been picking up a lot of possession in the game, but instead of doing what Rooney had been doing when he was getting those fast switches to say, you know, turn to the turn uh, half a circle to the right, you know, open up his body. Spray the ball, either lay the ball sideways to alley or, or play a longer pass towards Kyle Walker. He, you know, sort of po- was stood poised with his foot over the ball, threw a couple of little shapes, um, you know, didn't actually do anything, but there was a little pause, and then he went from that. He went from zero to sixty as quickly as he could possibly do. He stabbed the ball forward to Vardy, went the other side of his marker into the box. Wales well, suddenly have no idea what's actually happening here. Deli Ali running into the box as well. Vardy to Ali, back to Sturridge nice finish it was like all right that's what happens when that's that's what can happen when you try something that's a little bit surprising and this is what Sturridge did at that stage now I'm not saying that Rooney should be doing that every time he gets the ball but the threat of him doing that should be there should be present in the minds of the defenders and it's not the way that he's playing is too it's too constrained it's too buckled up maybe he's been told to do that maybe he's just faithfully fulfilling his instructions but I think it makes England very boring and mechanical. And I think they're going to struggle to score a lot of goals against a well-organized side if that's the way that they play. I mean, and that's, that's before you look at the other sort of deficiencies in, in Rooney's game. I mean, when he is pressed, he can have a problem. He didn't really get pressed much, particularly in the second half um, when Wales were, were falling back. Nobody was really putting any pressure on him. So anyone can play when they've got loads of space and time. And he was pretty good in that second half, but it's easy to do that. You know, and in a more in, in in a in a game against a stronger opponent or an opponent who's playing better, he's not going to get that space and time. And what you saw in the first half um, was how he can have problems when he is put under pressure. He doesn't have that sort of natural. You know, I mean, you mentioned Xavi. You know, Xavi under pressure uh, was just amazing at getting away from players. You know, he could just he, he usually just did that little spin and and suddenly he's kind of the player suddenly standing behind him and he's got the whole field in front of him really can't really do that he's not used to doing that maybe you know maybe he can do it from time to time but it's not as though that's a that's a basic you know skill of his game which he has to the highest level he doesn't you saw when when robson can put him under pressure he, he miscontrolled the ball and then was forced into the foul against robson Carter for which incidentally i think I, I was surprised he wasn't booked um uh, so I was looking for him that he didn't because, you know, bookings are, are a risk in this type of position. That was the, the free kick uh, from which Bale gave Wales the lead. I mean, Rooney probably thought he was giving away a free kick in a fairly safe area. Uh, on that occasion, it turned out not to be so safe.
4: Richie, where are you on Rooney? I think in in because of the season that Kane and Vardy have had, I think Hodgson can't really justify selecting him ahead of those players in an attacking position. And it, it just, I, I, am kind of with Ken on this one. I, I, I don't know how you would describe Rooney if you said, right, we're going to play Rooney in midfield and he's a X type of midfielder. Like, I, I don't know what the description would be. Um given time, like Ken said, he he can knock a ball twenty or thirty yards left or right of him, but that's not enough I, d- I like when an opposition have the ball is he defensively really solid is no w- n- no the, like when he's on the ball like you said with space is he, is he putting killer balls in he, he's not like he's not I, I don't know what he does very well as a midfielder he, be, he does a, he, he he can do a lot of things he can get the ball and give it to the fallanear but in terms of an inspirational creative Explosive midfielder. He's not. He that. chipped a
1: nice one into, I think it was Deli Ali at one stage in the first half, uh, which was miscontrolled. Uh, which, which is exactly the kind of ball. That little chip, the Javi Alonso type pass, where you're chipping it from the middle of the field towards, the f- almost like a long chip rather than a long pass. Like what Benucci did for
0: yeah. Italy's goal against. Uh, yeah, not Alton. even, qu-
1: not even quite that range. It was more of a thirty yard sort of. Uh, I pass. think
4: if he if he didn't have the, the history of of all the performances up front and all the goals and the appearances and the experience and all that and he had just arrived on the scene as a midfielder and he just looked at him solely in terms of what he brings to the midfield. I don't think he would get in that England team. And I think most good teams who meet England if they get to the latter the the, the latter stages of the tournament We'll get a lot of joy up against a midfield that has him and Dyer and Ali alongside each other.
3: Yeah, and I think you could see it when Jack Wilshere came on in the first game. I mean, Jack Wilshere is not match fit. Jack Wilshere is not the answer to all of England's problems, and yet he just looked. He just looked so much more comfortable playing in midfield than than Rooney did. And he there was the pass out, but there was also these little passes into channels uh, that. Ju- the, that just got England moving forward so much quicker and so much more effectively than than Rooney could. England
1: beating Wales is, all well
3: and good, folks, but really, I think day
1: seven, was it day seven of the tournament? Belonged to Northern Ireland. Still McGuinness. chance here. McGuinness! Ian Dowie there getting super excited on ITV commentary. Michael Walker was in Lyon covering this one for the Irish Times. Michael, what a day.
2: Oh, it really was It really was amazing yeah it was uh like it was it was historic and colorful and magnificent and all, all of those all of those things that re- you know the performance lived up to the stage um and because the contrast with nice against Poland was so great as well that added to it you know um so everything about it was just amazing i mean unfortunately we'll have to you know Talk about you know mention the, the 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 fan who died. I mean that's that's just an awful backdrop to it. But if but in, in purely football terms, it was a really really it was an unforgettable occasion.
1: What how do you account for the turnaround? I mean the most obvious thing, and we've been talking a bit about this already, the decision to change so many players in the team. But even what those players did and their approach to the game seemed it looked like a different team to what lined out the first day.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I think you know. Whenever the tournament's over, the players might might concede that they froze in in Nice mm-hmm. and that the scale of the occasion just got to them. There's also a theory that because they had four weeks preparation, they were actually you know they maybe overthought it you know. And there's actually that kind of idea that you know they, they just they, they just put themselves so worked up about Poland. That they 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 forgot to be themselves in a way. Um, that said, we just don't know how good Poland are really. You know, Poland could turn out to be pretty good, and therefore, you know, with hindsight, a one-nil defeat, even you know the the nature of the defeat being being sort of poor, um, but a one-nil defeat mightn't look that bad. Um, but I think the players felt that they had to go and do themselves justice, remind everyone why they're here, how they got here. And michael O'Neill made made enormous decisions, and they, every single one of them paid off but the, but a lot of it um I, i'm sure michael would say it as well a lot of it would it is down to the players' attitude. they just came out and really wanted to prove that they deserve to be here, that they just belong in the tournament, which i don't think they felt after um uh, after nice so that I think the attitude was a big was a big part of it the formation was a big part of it and the personnel was a big part of it because the players who came in stuart dallas came on as a sub in nice and immediately gave the, the team legs connor washington gave the team legs uh cory evans played really well and that released some of the pressure and responsibility on stephen davis he was again fantastic so Oh, that combination of things. But I mean, there were there were just great performances all around the pitch, you know. And, uh, someone, the, the, someone beside me from the Belfast Telegraph said, um, uh, in the 80th minute, Johnny Evans has just made a mistake, and oh. like, that was his first mistake in the 80th minute. You know, and it was a tiny error. So it was that kind. Of, it was that kind of day for
1: them. Yeah, I think Evans has been absolutely outstanding. I thought he was great against Lewandowski the first day out as well. To be honest, you mentioned Stephen yeah. Davis there. He he didn't seem to want to come off during the hailstones. He was having a chat with the referee and didn't seem like any oh, of the Northern Irish players wanted to come off at that stage.
2: No, no. <laughs> well, you could understand that they just you know you know even if it's bad at hailstones, it's not that bad. I mean, it was, it was quite a it was a bit of an overreaction from the <laughs> referee, I thought. And they they had that fear, you know, they spoke about it afterwards, that um, they feared it would interrupt their rhythm. But it didn't really. And um, you have to say that um, Ukraine were disappointing. Yarmolenko uh, didn't do anything. Kanoplyankia did a bit more. And actually, he carried a bit of a threat. But, you know, and the, the center forward actually wasn't bad. But the rest of them were. It was, uh, it was a, a curious, a curious performance from them.
1: When we were talking to you last week, Michael, ahead of the tournament, you were quick to remind listeners that the achievement in getting to the European Championships was huge for Northern Ireland. That that, that shouldn't be lost, even if the performances w- didn't work out. Now that this one has worked out, w- what sort of mindset do you have? What sort of mindset do you think the players are going to have going into the Germany match?
2: Oh, I think, I think they'll go into that thinking we can get a point here. We can draw this game and... Um, whereas if if they you know if they'd flopped again it would have been really you know the the thing was they could have they could have been out last night that's the thing you know the the mathematics and the permutations were such that if they would lost they were out you know so you can imagine how what a you know it would have been cringing going to play play germany in that, in those circumstances but now they've got something to play for they've got a, you know something to scrap for and uh germany. Germany aren't. I mean, I know they're the world champions, but are they are they brilliant? I just don't know if they're brilliant, you know. So there, you might be, you know, you might be able to get a point against them, um, and four points should take them through. I'm not sure of three points, well, because of the the complicated system that UEFA have brought in. So, um, but it, it gives them that. But I. I you know that I I still think that the achievement of getting here is absolutely huge and should never be forgotten. And the fact that they won the group that's really that's really massive. And I, I thought it was in danger of being overlooked by the nature of the performance in Nice, but now that they now that they've got here and they belong that's that's the thing they belong they feel like they belong. So they will go to the, they will go to Paris thinking we actually belong we're part of this tournament now. You know, and uh, I mean, they're on the front page of Lake Keep today. You know, that's, you know, they're, you know, they're I mean, Paul Pogba is the main image on the front page of Lake Keep, but it's, um, but it's Northern Ireland of the other picture. You know, so they've made, they've made an impact on the tournament, and I think that's, that's all you want, really.
1: Absolutely, Michael Walker. Great stuff. Enjoy Paris.
2: Thanks very much. Thanks. The training pitch is all well, somebody's
0: gotta somebody's gotta hold a hand up and say. It's like trying on a car path. No, 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 no regrets about it. No. As soon as you ask me a question, we're gonna give you an answer. Who? John Delaney? He could have found me, of course. He could have Try my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I was the woke up. As an ex-player, and as an Irish man. I mean an Irish man, uh, born and made here. Then I thought I, I was in time to give my opinion.
4: Swine. Backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my
0: name Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off
4: Open up a beer and you say
3: get over here and play a video game
0: Why oh, did you turn it
3: off? i say you on you just, just going to let it rain that's oh, right. good
0: manners
3: Play <coughs> video <coughs>
0: If that was my team, I'd go into the dressing room and I wouldn't even mention handball. I'd just say, why didn't someone put their head in it? France would definitely take it, and they never grabbed I it. Verse, Usual. Off. Usual stuff. Afraid of that next step. Mentally not strong enough. The verse, and and they can complain all they want and all these players, they can complain all they want. It's not going to change. France will go to the World Cup. Get over it.
1: Richie, what do you think? Is it realistic for Northern Ireland to be thinking now about getting a point against Germany? I
4: saw you on TV last night.
1: Not overly impressed with
4: the Germans. No, it was a... It was a tough watch, that match, actually. It was, yeah. Um, I mean, there has been kind of uneventful or, or, or poor stages in a good few of the games so far, but the, the expectation that we had going into it because of the two teams, I thought there would be more on offer. Germany looked... Very very ordinary. I was sitting next to Didi Haman watching, it and he was pretty scathing of them throughout the night. But um, yeah, the the big big concerns for them. I mean, we've seen them in the qualifying campaign, and, and and they weren't up to much. We just kind of assumed that that would change once they got there. Yeah, and, and well, I did. Yeah, and I, I I don't know why we did because we we saw them twice. Um, so, if you were a German fan looking at their performance in Dublin, you'd be really critical of conceding a goal in the schoolboy way in which they did, and their lousy finishing in Germany as well to concede a one uh, or to, to lose a goal in injury time. And they they haven't been impressive throughout qualifying. They've been far. Last night they were they were very very ordinary. If you looked at them last night, you said, "Did well, this this group playing in that way can't do any damage in the latter stages?" Well, I will tell you, one man who'll be confident about Northern Ireland's chances against Germany.
1: I'm here, uh, with a lot of Thanks very much to James Devlin for the heads up Our first Nesbitt watch of Euro 2016 Belfast Telegraph The headline is Video Living it up in Leon. Jimmy Nesbitt paints the town green with Northern Ireland fans oh my God. After <laughs> Ukraine victory <laughs> The article We
3: all knew it was coming But it's still a shock to to, to get such an email
1: Do you know what we just play the video I was about to go into a little of the article let, let, Let's just hear what Jimmy Nesbitt had to say after the game
4: That was James
1: Nesbitt trying to speak a few words of French. Okay. Uh, Apparently, Northern Ireland fan Darren Riles said that Jimmy joined the Green and White Army in a pub crawl around Lyon. The night was going so well that Darren missed his lift to Geneva to get a flight home, and he's now having to stay on for another night in Lyon. But he said... He's a great guy, Nesbitt, Loves Northern Ireland and is immensely proud of our wee country. It was surreal to be at the game and see our boys play so well. And what better way to finish off than doing tequilas at four in the morning with Jimmy Nesbit?
0: Tequilas <laughs> at four in the morning. My God, Jimmy Nesbit's strong as an ox.
1: Strong as an ox can. As is Roy Keane, we all know that. We've been talking already about the strife in the Belgian camp where they're apparently all punching the head off each other. Whereas in Ireland, it's all good-natured joshing between Roy Keane and his goalkeeping coach, which hasn't always been the case at major tournaments between (laughs) (laughs) Roy Keane and goalkeeping coaches. Uh, What happened with Seamus McDonough this morning?
0: Well, just a a prankster side of Roy Keane. Just coming out in a video from Ireland training, Seamus McDonough is winding up to... uh, Kick a ball. Roy Keane standing next to him. Just exactly the key moment. Rolls a ball in. Seamus McDonough's path, which confuses him hopelessly. and results in, in him uh, 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 over, collapsing really? to the ground like a, <laughs> like a chopped down tree. <laughs>
1: so we're in good form. Uh, Roy Keane was in good form yesterday. I talked about Eden Hazard. I don't know if anybody thinks that this could be problematic for us when he was it was put to him, Hey, Roy, you know this Hazard guy? You slated him a while back on uh, ITV's Champions League coverage. And Keane said, "Yeah, well, it's nothing personal, but I would I would do that to anyone." He was talking about leaving his club. I've got nothing against the lad; he's a talented boy, and I'd like him in our group. If someone at any club, Rockman, Cove, Man United, had a poor attitude, I would kick him in training. But I've done that with most lads.
0: Is this unnecessary?
1: Yeah. Unnecessary riling up of one of their players?
0: Um, I don't think so. I mean, what like Eden Hazard is like loads of people criticise Eden Hazard. I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he's you know. I mean, he's used to it. It's not like, you know, Roy Keane was the first person to say what the what what is wrong with Eden Hazard this uh, this season. He did, st- I mean, he had his own manager uh, <laughs> feeding quite a lot of that criticism at the time. Uh, the current Manchester United manager, um, but you know, uh, Hazard obviously came out of his hibernation with some great performances at the end of the Premier League season. He seemed to be back to more the usual kind of uh, Chelsea performance that he had been delivering. In their first game against Italy, you know, but Italy had uh, Italy set up tactically very, very cleverly. Certainly more so than Belgium did. I mean, the interesting thing about the Belgium squad at the moment, I don't think anyone's going to be thinking about what Roy Keane said because what's mm-hmm. happening there is, is, you know, this whole situation that's been reported between Courtois and Wilmots um, and Wilmots and everyone really, because uh, Wilmots, everyone's having a go at Wilmots. He's he's the uh, he's he's very much been pinpointed as the problem with the Belgium team by a lot of the media. Uh, he obviously doesn't like that he's pointing a finger at various of the players but you saw what courtois actually said i mean you know whatever about the truth of this th- this idea that they had a physical altercation um you know on the on a plane uh that's crazy stuff but what there is no doubt is that courtois said you know we were outclassed on all fronts tactically technically and organizationally now when you say tactically technically maybe that's up to the players but Tactically and organisationally, you know, we were outclassed. Whose fault is that? It's pretty obvious who Courtois, what Courtois is saying there. That's, those comments would not have been music to the ears of his manager and perhaps explains why these guys are not in such good form. So we don't know what's going to happen, whether this is actually going to mean Simon Mignolet coming into the Belgium team at Courtois' expense, or whether maybe you know what if, if they've if they've been fighting each other, is this going to be one of those fights that ruins the atmosphere, or is it going to be one of those cathartic moments between men when suddenly after the uh, you know after after everyone's had a big sort out, uh, you know it's it's it re- renews everyone's purpose, it clears everyone's mind, it gets them focused on you know what they need to do to get out of this mess together, uh, and, and Ireland will be made to pay. We, we really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be, um, Mark Vilmos is going to be here in, um, in a little over an hour, actually. Um, I think Courtois was meant to be down to do the press conference with him. So, uh, we'll we'll see what they have to say. All right. Uh, well, hopefully, it's really bad.
1: Let's have a quick look at the Ireland team selection, potential selection with Johnny Walters out. Richie, the options here seem to be bringing James McLean straight in, bringing Stephen Ward in at left back and pushing Robbie Brady into midfield. Possibly Daryl Murphy coming in for Walters or else just some maybe O'Neill will be a little bit more he didn't surprise any of us really with his selection maybe he'll make a few changes for this one a la Michael O'Neill what do you think is going to happen there?
4: Yeah I I, I was feeling he will make a few changes and and, and given it, it's O'Neill and, and how unpredictable he can be I'm not sure exactly what he'll do I mean Stephen Quinn could come into midfield just for his energy and a bit of freshness I would be surprised if Ward didn't start at, at least one of the three group games and that could well be the Belgium game um, if Darrell Murphy played Darryl, he's very limited, he's very one dimensional so if he's a straight swap for Walters whatever instructions O'Neill gives him or however much he tells him to replicate what Walters did he he just he will do it differently um, I would hope Houlihan keeps his place in the team, I don't know whether fatigue or his, his body will, will will be seen to be up to playing three games and it's just short space And um, I don't know whether maybe he'll make a change of centre half as well uh, we weren't sure whether Clark would play in the first game. He might change that for this, just for to make use of the squad. Because um, we have probably about a group of 14 or 15 players that are all similar. But there's a bit of a drop down after that, but I think O'Neill has used quite a few. So he might make a few changes, but difficult to predict which ones. Ken?
0: Well, what happened when, um, when Walters was missing the last time was that, uh, that, when I say the last time, what I mean is the playoff away in Bosnia. So Walters was missing for that game and what he did then was he played Stephen Ward at left-back and moved mm-hmm. Brady into midfield. Uh, and the midfield was McCarthy, Whelan, Hendrick, Houlihan and Brady. That was the midfield that started. It was Darren Murphy playing up front because Shane Long, uh, I think, was injured at that stage. Um, so I could imagine the same kind of uh, team uh, with Long instead of Murphy and that midfield, I mean, the thing is, the thing about that midfield, Brady and Hendrick, Whelan, McCarthy, it is a good footballing unit. You know what I mean? They can, they can, they can play good football. I mean, I think if you introduce James McLean there, there's obviously obviously, O'Neill likes James McLean. Um, and he does bring a certain amount of aggression, intensity, a little bit of pace, you know, a kind of an up and approach. I don't think he fits quite as well into, the, into a kind of a more footballing style. You know, because he's a little bit erratic in possession, uh, his control maybe isn't as good as, as as some of the other options there. I think that's probably what Ireland will do. Although, you know, who knows? As regards the the issue of Kieran Clark, I assume Clark is the player you're talking about. If um, you know, in terms of maybe he, he would make a change in central defence, I think he'll I think he'll continue. Um, I think he'll continue with Clark. I mean, I know we can look back in Clark's performance against Sweden and say, well, he nearly scored three own goals and did score one. That would be a that would be a negative way to look at it. Um I think generally speaking he actually did very well against you know a tough opponent. Like that's an not an easy guy to play against. Um and you could see I think some of the frustrations of that late late on in the game when he started. you know, he he's dug the point of his elbow into Clark's neck a couple of times as they were going for headers. You know, he doesn't do that if things are going his way. I think Clark actually had quite a good game. It's just rather unfortunate that uh, it was pockmarked, let's say, by uh, all those shots on the Irish goal. All
1: right. Predictions, Murph, I'll let you start. 1-0. Okay. Richie?
4: I was going to go with the same thing, but I'll go 1-0 win. Come <laughs> on, Richie. Well, just, I like <laughs> I, I, I'm just putting all my faith in the fact that Belgium are yep. literally punching each other. I haven't
1: received any love for my correct uh, prediction of the Ireland-Sweden game, by the way, but we'll we'll move on from that. Ken, I, I think your, th- prediction? I, I think your
0: daring th- prediction of an Ireland tournament game finishing one, one all. all. I was going to say. Well, that. I didn't hear anyone
1: else predicting the same scoreline. So, Ken,
0: uh, I'll go three one Belgium. Three one
1: Belgium.
3: That well, it worked Did the oracle last time. He said three one Sweden last time, so we'll take that.
1: Yeah. Well, as uh, who was it who tweeted here earlier? I've got yeah, one here yeah, from yeah. Evil Jacket says Simon. Yeah, he said today's lesson: Let's never put money on Ken Erdy. predictions. Yeah. Wales, Ukraine, Poland.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, they were all they were all six to one. And I managed to pick the two wrong six to ones uh, to win that game. Uh, would I say they were all? Yeah, they were all six to one, weren't they? Uh, but Northern Ireland were obviously the ones who came through, much to my surprise and disgrace. I think it's only right to describe it as disgrace. Uh, once again, disgraced football analyst. Kennedy <laughs> licks his wounds, proved <laughs> wrong uh, by the vicissitudes of fate yet again. It's the time uh, you. It's
4: the time you predicted Man City would beat Leicester four nine. Uh, <laughs> <it was> the... <laughs> come, Ritchie, come on, Richie. No,
0: Come on. Oh, I'm gonna great, I'm you? gonna go
4: for nobody
1: again, nobody's listening to my predictions. I gotta write the last time, everybody. Whatever. I'm gonna go say on. two all.
0: Two all two all
1: thriller, two two this time. I'm getting a little bit more brave in these. Well
0: in these two all wouldn't be a bad result, you know. Well, I mean two all if it, the, i think if you're gonna get a draw at this stage, it might as well be a high scoring one. Yep. Um I mean if you know if if our game is to get the, that third uh, that third spot, you know, two all would be a helpful result.
1: All right, let's get uh, uh, yeah. let's get out of here. Let's allow people to enjoy their weekend and look forward to the big game. I'm going to the match, as I mentioned, but as uh, pneumonia permitting, I'll be back uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning, ready to record, Murph. We're going to chat to Ken on a Sunday. Quick hit, a, Sunday qu- a quick hit from Ken before a more Matt's reflective on. piece on Monday. So it could be our first ever Sunday podcast, or certainly, uh, certainly yeah, one of them I anyway. So I look forward to fun. putting that one out. Thanks very much, Murph.
0: Thank you, Owen. Thank pa- you, Richie. Thanks Thank, you Richie. Thanks Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Billy. Do Bailey. you hear... Uh, do you hear what's going on in the background there? No. No. Here comes the rain again Falling on my head like a memory <laughs> Thanks Ken. Uh, thanks Alan. Uh, see you tomorrow maybe.
1: Thanks. Yeah maybe. Thanks Bailey. I said thanks Bailey. <laughs> the dog doesn't bark. She's it's a non-barking dog but she's it's a beautiful beautiful dog. The thanks, soundest
4: man. dog in the world. We're in Richie. Take care. Cheers lads.
0: That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.